On this edition of Kiwi Trips' Spring Road Trips, we head to the birthplace of New Zealand tourism, Tarawera, in the heartland of Māori tourism, Rotorua. Plus, we embrace the elements of the Mackenzie country and coast it around Palliser Bay. Welcome back to Kiwi Tripsters. Buckle up and take off to spectacular destinations as we continue our journey and share the inside word on all things travel. Whether it's luxury travel or backpacking on a budget, whether it's cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an amazing travel experience. And now, over to your hosts, Mike Yardley and Chris Lynch. Well, welcome aboard Kiwi Tripsters. I'm Chris Lynch. I'm Mike Yardley. Good to be with you on the couch with Mr Lynch. Yes, and uh, I feel like spring is finally in the air, don't you? It is dawning. I am a spring child. Uh, without... I thought you were going to say a spring chicken. Well, uh, I think I'm probably past being a chicken, more like a tired old rooster. But I was born in September, right? So I'm always very excited about spring. It is such an uplifting season. It is, it Mm. is. You've been out and about, of course. You went to Tarawera. Tell us about that, because I've never been to that part of New Zealand before, and I feel like I'm missing out. Well, as you know, Chris, I am a real history hound, and the thing about Tarawera and the buried village of Te Wairua is that it's very much the cradle within the cradle of New Zealand tourism, because it was the staging post uh, for the birthplace of our tourism industry, when all of those moneyed Europeans would come over here in the 1800s to set off from Te Wairua, the buried village, to the terraces, the pink and white terraces, which gave birth to our tourist trade. And today, Te Wairua, the buried village, is like our own mini version of Pompeii, um, given this was once, you know, this thriving tourist village yeah. that was buried in layers of ash and mud during the 1886 eruption. So I love visiting the village to see what's been salvaged, what's been excavated. You can see all sorts of skeletal remains from buildings. Um, and it's been a labour of love for the Smith family who have owned the site for the past 90 years. And there is just such an amazing sense of history, tragedy, and new beginnings. It's all very mm. powerful. Is the Smith family still involved in this amazing historical site? They are, yeah. I think it's now the fourth generation. So I walked around the grounds with Dave McGarth, and he is part of the Smith family, married into the family. Um, he pointed out so many family anecdotes, including the various trees that um, have been planted over the decades for various commemorations. And uh, right back at the start, it was Reg and Vi Smith who bought the land and a little college uh, a cottage back in 1931 and began the task of excavating uh, the Tewairua site. Um, and it's amazing to see today these walls of mud and ash all over the place. They've excavated heaps of stuff, but there's so much more they could do if they wanted to. Uh, and one of my favourite highlights is to see the remains of the Rotomahana Hotel, which was one of New Zealand's first hotels where a lot of those Victorian travellers would stay before heading out across the lake to see the terraces. Uh, That hotel, just the roof of it collapsed under the weight of all of that ash and mud during the eruption. Well, I'm guessing there's probably some standout museums around the place, given the history values of this area. Yeah, absolutely. And probably the best museum is the one at the buried village of Te Wairua, because what they've done is, uh, as they've excavated over the years, they've salvaged a lot of um, various relics and they've put them into this museum, which was recently given a major refurbishment. And it's the personalities 
at the height of the terraces trade back in the day that really shined through at the museum, I was absolutely fascinated to learn about the local village priest called Tuhoto. And um, he, along with the principal guide, Sophia, who took out these tour groups to the terraces, they have just played such a huge role in the whole story about the eruption because just before Mount Tarawera erupted, um, Sophia was out on the lake with a tour group and they all claimed they saw what has now been described as a phantom waka. And this canoe was full of warriors on the water just a couple of days before the eruption. And the local village priest, Tuhotor, took that as a sign of impending doom. And he said, the whole thing's going to blow. The whole thing is about to uh, bury us uh, through an eruption. Remarkably, he survived. He was right. He survived, buried in his hut. And they dug him out four days later, still alive after being entombed in all of that ash and mud. But the amazing thing is there is still a lot of conjecture today as to what did Sophia and that tour group actually see. Was it an apparition? The other theories are that it may have actually been an ancient burial waka because in previous centuries, the local Māori there used to bury their loved ones sitting upright in a waka on the lake. So had this waka actually become dislodged from where it was meant to be? And were they actually looking at skeletons on this waka? The other theory is they might have all been hallucinating after becoming poisoned by volcanic gases. But isn't that the most amazing mystery as to exactly what that waka was all about? So that's heavily documented in the museum. How was the lake, by the way? Absolutely sensational, Chris. Um, I took a cruise with a a, a firm called Totally Tarawera, Uh, And that's run by Dave and Karen. Interestingly, she is a descendant of Guide Sophia. Um, By the way, Sophia survived the Tarawera eruption and went on to become one of the pioneering guides um, in Whakarewa River uh, in Rotorua. Um, But Karen's family stories are fascinating and you get a real sense of the drama and the beauty of the lake when you take a tour with these guys. There is this fabulous beach called Tarata or Hot Water Beach, not to be confused with the one in Coromandel. And I took a walk along the sand of this beach and it is just cooking underneath your feet. You know, you you can feel your toes getting hot as you walk along the beach. And in the summertime, it's a dock camping site, so... People will cook up bacon and eggs using the hot water on the beach. Uh, For breakfast, you'll see casseroles, you'll see lamb shanks cooking in the creek uh, over summer. Uh, And we also staked out a really cool place called Natural Bush Hot Pool. And it is just the most perfect setting. It's like an enchanting secret garden on the banks of the lake where you can just bask in the warm, crystal clear volcanic waters wrapped in the fern-rich finery of the forest. It is total bliss. How does the Waimangu Volcanic Valley fit into this eruption story? Well, it really is a geographical exercise when you go to Tarawera because I'm sure a lot of people who have been to Rotorua, which is just up the road, may have been to Waimangu, the volcanic valley. But that is such a young volcanic valley because it is central to the legacy of the Tarawera eruption and that when the mountain exploded... um, it unzipped the Earth's surface in a line for 17 kilometres from the mountain and ripped apart 
the earth, creating the geothermal spectacles that you can find in Waimangu Volcanic Valley. Um, and they are incredible spectacles, like the largest hot spring in the world, Frying Pan Lake, and the absolute jewel, which is called Inferno Crater. These are really young geothermal features that all came about only because Tarawera erupted. Did you take a cruise to the side of the terraces? Absolutely, and I just find this incredible that you can actually cruise over the very location of those pink and white terraces, um, and you can do this from Waimangu Volcanic Valley, which adjoins Lake Rotomahana, which adjoins Lake Tarawera. It's all very complex geography, but um, the cruise goes on Lake Rotomahana, and it was only a few years ago that um, the owners of Waimangu Volcanic Valley uh, got some German specialists over in a submarine, and they located remnants of the pink and white terraces about 60 metres below the waterline. But I think a really cool future tourism um, excursion would be to get a submarine and get tourists down there to go and see the under... Uh, ground remains of those terraces. But yeah, absolutely do the lake cruise. Any good places to stay that you'd recommend for our audience? Well, Tarawera is a really quiet little haven of solitude. Um, there's no shops at Tarawera, but they've got lots of holiday houses. And I stayed at a place called Jack's Hut, which is actually a shepherd's hut, a real deal, authentic shepherd's hut from the 1930s that has been in the the family that operate it, you know, yeah, since the 1930s. Um, and it is such a cosy, snug little place just up on the hillside overlooking the lake. So you wake up in the morning with the most sublime views of brooding Mount Tarawera. Um, and um, I think it would probably rate, Chris, as one of the best glamping experiences I have had in New Zealand. What about the mountain itself? Well, I didn't do this, but the other option to complete the whole Tarawera circuit is to jump in a helicopter and um, you'll fly over Waimangu Volcanic Valley. So you can sort of see how the earth has been unzipped for 17k and then you land on the very sacred mountain of Tarawera. Uh, Volcanic Air operate these flights and uh, from those that I know have done the chopper right up to the mountain, what they are amazed by is when you land on the summit, all you can see is this rich volcanic red material um, and all sort of twisted ridges at the top of the mountain. So um, it certainly is a reminder that Mother Nature is always in charge. You're with Kiwi Tripsters and Mike has been getting all hot and steamy in Rotorua. Uh, there are plenty of ways to soak up the theodermal, the, theo, what am I trying to say? Geothermal. Thank you. Atmosphere. Free though. Not everything you have to pay for, right? That is true. If you are dyslexic, it's theodermal. Which actually theodermal. sounds... That's what I was going to say. That kind of sounds like fun. Um, yeah, I think this is the amazing thing about Rotorua, that as much as it may be considered by some as a bit of a tourist trap. There are so many free-to-enjoy experiences. Um, I actually reckon one of the best walks you can do in Rotorua is down on the lakefront, just follow Lake Road around to the really historic village, very close to the city centre, called Ohinimutu. That is where Sir Howard Morrison lived before he died. And in the morning, the mist rises from the lake and from the village of Ohinimutu, from all of its geothermal vents all around the village 
And it's just the most ethereal sight. It's like this village emerges from the mist. Um, Kui Row Park, which is right across the road, um, is the most fabulous park in Rotorua. You can even um, have some like free hot pool treatments in the park. They've got like a they've got a little sort of area that I've created where you can just dunk your feet in for a hot, you know, warm up as you go around the park. So uh, all sorts of pretty gnarly geothermal features within that park as well. Free to enjoy. What about when it comes to paying for some of the attractions? Because there are some amazing attractions there. Yeah. A nighttime tour, for example. Yeah, absolutely. This was very much inspired by the clarion call for Kiwis to do something different. Mm. So at Tapuia, which is part of Whakarewa Rewa Valley, um, earlier this year they launched this fantastic walking tour, Geysers by Night. And it's a two-hour guided walk that takes you all through the valley, led by local Māori guides, and they will just share with you so many anecdotes from 700 years of history, you know, in terms of their whānau calling the place home. Um, you will even enjoy a, a stunning steam pudding served with custard, freshly cooked and plucked out of one of their cooking pools uh, at Tapuia. And um, you'll hear the birds calling out to each other at night as well, because they've got they've got a colony of kiwi um, at Tapuia, so as you're walking these trails at night under torchlight, you'll hear the kiwi call out, you know, from one mate to the other, which is kind of cool. Um, the highlight, though, is to see Poor Hutu Geyser, which is the Southern Hemisphere's biggest geyser, um, and she's all lit up in very trippy lights at night. Oh, so wow, that's kind cool. of the Disneyland yeah, factor. Real, yeah. And um, that is just superb. So if you've done Tapuia by day, you've got to do it by night for a whole different experience. How was Pahutu? Absolutely stunning. I was really intrigued. Before we got to Pahutu, on the night tour, we got up close with the remains of Waikiti geyser. And this geyser used to be so much bigger than Pohutu, even though Pohutu is the biggest in the Southern Hemisphere. Waikiti went dormant uh, back in the 60s, but she's not dead. And there are hopes that she will rise again, literally, in, in the years to come. But poor Hutu is very much the star of the show at the moment in Rotorua. Uh, she gushes and spews her bodily fluids 30 metres high. Uh, sounds like a rugby pub crawl, really, doesn't it? I don't know about that. Vertically. <laughs> um, it's a compelling experience by day, but as I say, do it by night. And the Te Arawa guides that um, lead these tours, they are just absolutely superb. You'll really consider it one of your highlights in Rotorua. And Hell's Gate does a great mud bath. Did you actually have a oh, mud bath? Uh, this is unleashing your inner child, Chris, to have a mud bath. And yes, Hell's Gate uh, has the unique distinction of being the only place in New Zealand where you can have a genuine geothermal outdoor mud bath. And it is so revitalising. They've got all sorts of incredible geothermal formations within their valley at Hell's Gate. But that mud bath you will become completely addicted to it, even though you're actually meant to only stay in the bath itself for about 20 minutes. But it's beautifully um, developed the way that uh, it's laid on for the visitor. So you have your mud bath, you exfoliate yourself, you just slather yourself in mud, and then they've got these hot showers right outside. Like You just step right out of the bath, boom, turn on your hot shower, clean all the mud off, and then you can go and have fun in the hot pools um, that are scattered around Hell's Gate. What kind of things can you eat there? What does Rotorua put on for you? Well, 
they very much cater to all tastes uh, right across the the global platter of cuisine. And then they have got this street in Rotorua, in downtown Rotorua, called Eat Street, uh, where very much it is a world on a plate. One really cool place in Eat Street that I would highly recommend you go to is called Attica's Finch. And I love it because it's got the most unique outdoor courtyard in New Zealand. It is geothermally heated. Oh, wow. Isn't that cool? So and no electricity bills. No, exactly. So if um, it's a... It's a, if it's a fresh night, uh, head to Atticus Finch and your toes will not go cold. Um, by the way, if you're heading out to the Redwoods, to the Redwood Forest, there is a fantastic cafe called Eastwood Cafe, which from what I could tell from all the locals, Chris, is considered the place to go on the weekend. Um, a huge crowd pleaser. I had a fungi pizza there for lunch. It was fantastic. Very nice. Coming up, we check out the coastal delights of the Lower North Island and we're off to dive into the other delights of the Mackenzie country. You're with Kiwi Tripsters. I'm Mike Yardley and Chris Lynch has been romping around the astounding region in the South Island, the Mackenzie District. It's the sort of place, Chris, that no matter how many times you go there, it serves up a unique difference every time because it is so weather dependent all of those elements sort of set the mood don't they you're so right about that i mean i've been to the mckenzie country for pleasure and for work now for about four times this year yeah and every time i go there there's something different to explore there's something different to see and you're right um the weather is certainly changeable but you never get bored there because the weather is what makes that region equally as spectacular as the topography really Totally. Now, I know one of your favourite spots is by Lake Pukaki. Um, if you like a little bit of luxury like Mr Lynch, Lakestone Lodge, tell us all about it. Lakestone Lodge is probably one of my favourite places to stay in New Zealand. Why? Because it's off the grid, it's off the main highway, it is exclusive, if you like. Uh, the hosts there are, are lovely and very welcoming, but they are also discreet at the same time. The food is amazing. If you want to get away somewhere exclusive and have some decent time out overlooking Lake Pukaki and seeing Mount Cook, in the distance, then Lakestone Lodge is for you. But also the hosts do a wonderful job of explaining how they become sustainable, how they don't need electricity from the main grid, yeah. how they do things themselves. And there's a real focus on excellence. And that comes down to when you walk into the lodge, you'll know exactly what I mean. Everything is beautifully laid out. There is coffee there when you enter. Uh, there is biscuits. There, It's just a lovely place to go. There's uh, a beautiful bathtub that overlooks where you can look and see the amazing view of Lake uh, Pekeke. It doesn't get any better than this. It is pure luxury. In fact, recently, I think they were given a five-star recommendation from one of the tourism brochures internationally. But if you do a Google search under Lakestone Lodge, you will know exactly what I mean. But I think, and I'll say it again, it's probably the hosts that make this place just wonderful because you can tell... They're not there just to make money. They want to make sure that you have a really homely experience, but just leaving you to your own devices. And there's something to be said about that. You know, for example, if you might stay at a backpackers and you might be, or not a backpackers, but sort of a and b, b kind of place and you get there and the hosts are nice, but sometimes 
that can be a bit overwhelming. Yeah, and you sure. just want to relax and chill out. Yeah, there's a difference here where discretion is everything. Yeah, you don't want to be overly fussed over, yeah. do you? No, um, there is that balance, absolutely. But Anna and Mike are the nicest people. Yeah, and you want to sort of do right by them at the same time. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, of course, from Lake Pukaki, it's uh, a very short. Uh, drive to Auraki Mount Cook National Park. Mm. And if you want to commune with our great mountain, a really cool way to do it, and I know that Chris recently did this, was the Hooker Valley Walk. What impressed you about the walk? What didn't impress me about the walk? I mean, the Hooker Valley Walk is one of those walks where uh, every New Zealand family should do because yeah. it is an easy walk. It gets slightly slippery towards the the closer you get to the actual glacier region yes. and it gets colder. Uh, my friend and I, we happen to go on a stunning crystal blue sky day. Oh. And if you can get the weather that looks like that, you will. it is a far more pleasurable mm. experience. So we went on a beautiful blue sky day. There was snow just around it looked like something out of a movie. It looked like it, you know, everything was purposely put where it was supposed to be. But it's something that I would say every New Zealander should do. And what I like about this walk, I think it's marketed as being sort of almost not semi-difficult, but it looks difficult in some of the brochures. It is not. No. It is an easy, family-friendly walk. I'm trying to think how long it took us there. It's I about, think it's about three hours in total, isn't it? Two yeah, to it's three about, hours? Yeah, about three hours in total. Yeah. Um, you can go at your own speed. We went on, a, as I say, a beautiful day. There were lots of families around, and it's the sort of place where you want to make sure you take your time because there are some spectacular scenic spots to take your nice photos on Instagram along the way. Mm. But, of course, the crescendo, if you like, the climax is when you get to the very end yeah. and it's like being, it's it's like a movie set, I think is the best way to describe it. But once again, it doesn't matter what kind of season you go on. I've seen some great photos and some great images of people who have gone in the summertime and there's hardly any snow obviously around, but it's a beautiful kind of greeny, bluey lake towards the end. Or if you go in the wintertime like I did, uh, it's completely covered, as in the lake at the very end, it's completely covered uh, in ice. And it's just, it is just spectacular. And as I say, it's one of those walks that every New Zealander should do. Don't you reckon? Totally agree. Um, and probably going forward when the international borders are reopen, we'll probably have to start charging international tourists if they want to do that walk because it is such a jewel, isn't it, for New Zealanders? Yeah, and that's one thing I was speaking to a lot of operators. They were thinking that when the borders do open and this pandemic eventually comes to an end, hopefully, they are actually looking at ways to try and manage yeah. the Mount Cook region so that you still get your tourists in, but... They are, they are there to appreciate it a bit more. Now, whether it is by paying a fee or whether it's just actually limiting the number of tourists that go to these hotspots might be the way to go yeah. just to protect uh, the environment. Well, I recall that just before COVID in the year 2019, uh, Mount Cook received one million international visitors. So, I mean, there's been a lot of focus on Milford Sound recently as to, you know, managing future demand. Mount Cook outstrips Milford Sound in terms of international visitors, pre-COVID. So mm. it's something but to if, watch, isn't it? But if you book early enough too, there are plenty of decent uh, accommodation providers in the village that aren't all that expensive. I stayed in uh, like a, a lodge, um, but it was comfortable. You know, it was nice. It's not your five-star Lakestone Lodge, yeah. but it was, you know, it was comfortable, it was decent. And at the end of the day, you want a comfortable place to stay after you've done your walk. And this place is perfect. You know, there were many lodges, many motels as well, not just uh, your expensive tourist kind of option. 
options. Sure. Just a couple of quick things. At Glen Tenor, where you stayed at one of these um, affordable accommodation options, you also took a chopper ride with Helicopter Line. Where did they take you? Oh, it was amazing. Do you know, I'm not even sure what the place is where they took me. <laughs> to, uh, it was somewhere up in the hills somewhere, but <laughs> that, that was equally as spectacular. But I think uh, I want to point to the accommodation there at Glen Tanner. Sure. Um, I said to the owner, it's understated. On the, on the website, they've got these images of some cabins and they look kind of okay, but the cabins I stayed in were quite huge. They were big, probably one of the biggest accommodation providers in the region that I stayed in. Um, so the cabins for me was almost the highlight, but don't get me wrong, uh, the pilots and the staff from Helicopter Line are wonderful. There are different types of tours uh, you can go on. We were supposed to go on a tour, uh, a heli hike, they call it, where they drop you off somewhere at the top of some snowy mountain and we walked down, but I kind of got lucky in some respects because it was a beautiful blue sky day at the top of wherever the snowy mountain that we stay that we were that we got dropped off to have a look yeah. but round the other side it was um too overcast for them to drop us off so i got the best of both worlds a spectacular helicopter ride without having to do any walk that goes with it that sounds good that's chris lynch for you by the way um one other little nugget a must do when you're in the mckenzie uh, district lake tekapore tekapore hot springs what did you do there Oh, uh, well, what didn't I do there? We had, I had a massage. Mm-hmm. Massage was just beautiful, by the way. Couldn't fault it, and I'm very fussy with the massages. You have to do the Tikabo Hot Springs, but most importantly, you have to do uh, the night sky attraction where uh, there are different sessions. I think I went at about uh, 8 o'clock at night time, and then you get to explore the nighttime skies with um, your tour guide, uh, and you get to look through heli- uh, through telescopes and see different sc- uh, star clusters and stuff that I've never seen before, stuff I didn't think you could even see from New Zealand. I won't spoil it, but it's definitely worth going. And then your small tour group get changed into your togs and you can sit in the hot pools and soak while the tour guy, in a very relaxed manner, talks about the nighttime mm-hmm. stars. Alpha Centauri. From a scientific totally. point of view, which is what I really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, and the good thing is it's an intimate small group. You don't feel, you're not packed in like sardines. It is just lovely. And then the guy kind of, he can read the room if you like. He'll stop talking when people just want to soak and relax. And it's just a lovely experience. It's something you have to do. Well, finally on Kiwi Tripsters, let's head to the South Wairarapa coastline and you went to a very special bay. Palliser Bay, Chris. I think Palliser Bay could be one of New Zealand's greatest bays. I love its savage, raw-edged beauty. The savage, raw-edged beauty? Yes. Okay. Yes. It's not a smooth, benign, wussy sort of place. It's got personality. It's got personality. It's got a bit of kick to it because... It's the southernmost tip of the North Island, right? So it sort of juts out into the Cook Strait. So it is where the land and the sea can come to serious blows, particularly with winter storms. I was there in August when we had that big polar blast sweep through New Zealand. And oh my God, it was like ends of the world at Palliser Bay. It was just so angry, so violent. It was fabulous. No blood was spilt. Um, But if you like a more benign experience, it's such a fabulous bay to go for a bit of a spring romp around because there are just so many sites around the bay that you can hopscotch your way from one to the next. Did you head to the Pinnacles? Yes. Now, the Pinnacles, I think, are one of those landmarks in New Zealand 
that are underrated and are a must-do for every Kiwi. It's a 90-minute return walk to reach them. So there is a bit of work involved to get the just rewards, but you go through uh, some quite steep beech forest to reach the Putangi Rua Pinnacles. Now, these had a starring appearance in The Lord of the Rings. You won't find them in the UK, Emerson. Uh, and these pinnacles are probably the closest thing I have seen in New Zealand to the likes of Bryce Canyon National Park in Utah, which is fawned over for its hoodoos, those big fluted pillars of stone. It's sort of like imagining skyscraper-sized organ pipes on mass. And it's like this amphitheatre of them. Uh, that's what you can expect at the Pinnacles. It truly is an out-of-the-world experience that the whole family will enjoy. Uh, they are truly wondrous. By the way, what's so special about Nawi? Well, a lot of New Zealand regions, Chris, will say, oh, we have got some hidden gems. And I think Nawi is one of those top-shelf examples of the true hidden gem. You may have actually seen Nawi without even knowing you have, because about four or five years ago, do you remember that lotto ad where there's the kid on the pirate ship and Dad is on the fishing ship? Okay. Well, if Chris I had, don't remember. No. If Chris had remembered that, that was shot at Nawi. Okay. <laughs> the, the reason it was shot at Nawi is because it is quite a unique fishing village where the, the, the seaside village itself does not have a harbour, right? Doesn't have a sheltered harbour. So they've got this huge battalion of tractors and bulldozers that are used to tow the fishing boats in and out from the sea. Um, and they do crayfishing out of Nawi. So when you get there, it's like this dozer convention of all of this heavy artillery, which uh, makes it quite distinctive as a fishing village in New Zealand. They've got the largest number of tractors per capita in the world at Nawi. Um, so, yeah, a really cool place to check out. Um, any big nuggets of history? Well, Palliser Bay is one of the oldest inhabited uh, places for Māori. And just out of Nawi, on the hillside, you can see the remains of these ancient stone walls built into the ridgelines uh, for Kumara Gardens, to protect the Kumara Gardens. And interestingly, Heritage New Zealand got these carbon dated, and they date back to the 1300s. So they're very old uh, Kumara Garden stone walls. I was also intrigued by the mythological tale, which centres around this enormous triangular-shaped slab of tilting sandstone that rises up uh, from the coastline just past Nawi. And it's called Coupe's Sail. And apparently Coupe, the great explorer, rested here along with his mate Naki. And Coupe told Naki, let's see who can make a big sail first. And they hung their sails up on this big tilting slab of sandstone. As you do. Um, the other thing which I thought would have been the most amazing sight back in the day, Chris, is in the uh, 1860s or thereabouts, early European sheep farmers shepherded vast flocks of sheep from Wainuiamata Valley in Wellington around that really craggy coast into Palliser Bay because that was the gateway uh, into the big pastoral uh, plane of the wider upper valley, but that must have been the most amazing spectacle to see all these sheep having to try and um, stay, um, uh, you know, on top of, of the earth around that really gnarly coast. Did you ever look at the lighthouse that's there? 
the most amazing lighthouse. It is candy-striped, which is quite attractive in itself. I felt kind of kind of peckish as I hauled my way up 253 wooden steps to get to this, uh, to this lighthouse. But you really need to do it because the views are just absurdly amazing. Um, where it's positioned, you're looking across Palliser Bay out into Cook Strait, and the Kaikoura Ranges uh, were snow-capped when I was there in August, and they're so sharply defined, you feel like from the lighthouse you can like reach out and touch the Kaikoura Ranges in the South Island. It's the weirdest thing. Um, but yeah, just the most beautiful lighthouse. The other really interesting natural spectacle down on the shoreline below the lighthouse, I notice all of these uh, lava rock stacks all piled up, and apparently that has all gushed from a network of underground volcanoes that are lurking just off the shoreline, which is kind of spooky. Now, there's lots of uh, seals to see there as well, isn't there? Lots of seal colonies. Yes. If you do like seals, uh, great family fun. Uh, the North Island's largest seal colony is at Cape Palliser, just past the lighthouse, actually. And if you're planning a spring road trip or even an early summer road trip, generally from October through November, December, January, uh, that's when the pups are out in force. And I went in November a couple of years ago, and it's just amazing watching the mums teach pups aquatic lessons in the rock pools uh, at uh, Palliser Bay. It's like, oh, my goodness, we are more alike than we realise. Meanwhile, you've got all those dads, those big bull seals sort of just wallowing on the rocks, sort of hollering and belching, sort of <laughs> like old Barry. Well, old Barry, old, the good old boys at a club, you know, after a few too many brandies. That's what it reminded me of. Yeah. The old RSAs. <laughs> uh, what about Lake Ferry? Good spot for lunch? Yeah, just quickly, if you do feel peckish after seeing that candy-striped lighthouse, um, the century-old Lake Ferry Hotel, which isn't too far away, uh, they have got the most amazing menu, but you can't beat the efficient chips because the Lake Ferry Hotel is pretty much situated where the lake disgorges into Cook Strait. Mm. So the fish is so fresh. The fish and chips for lunch, you won't be able to beat them. Now I'm feeling hungry. Oh, yeah. Well, that's this edition of Kiwi Tripsters. Thank you so much for joining us. You can head to the Kiwi Tripsters website for all the show notes. Just go to kiwitripsters.co.nz. As always, we would love you to rate and review Kiwi Tripsters on the podcast of uh, or outlet of your choice. By the way, we do have a new look website for For the Love of Travel, our uh, companion sister, sister. Uh, operation. Twin so, sister. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got articles related to all of the destinations Chris and I have uh, been chatting about on the For the Love of Travel website. The website address, forthelovetravel.nz. Uh, so, yeah, the website's been given a spring makeover. Check it out. And we will see you in a couple of weeks' time. Take care. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. 